What's up, guys? Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to give you guys a little intro on what's to come. Uh, today, I got interviewed by one of my fellow coaches, Max Hernandez. Um, his podcast is called the Upside Down Health Podcast. And we talked about all things, I mean, a lot of my personal story with regards to my mental health struggles, um, my weight loss journey, how I got to fitness, um, me going to therapy, what I do now is an online nutrition coach and some of my productivity hacks that help me stay effective and focused while I'm working at home when it's so easy to get distracted. So I hope you guys enjoy today's podcast. I, uh, I really do love kind of having the roles be reversed and being interviewed by somebody else because it gives me an opportunity to share my story and give you guys a little bit more of an insight into my own journey because most of the time you guys hear me as the coach. And this time you're going to get to hear me kind of as the person who went through his own hero's journey. So hope you guys enjoy. Let's get on to the show. From the moment you wake up to the moment your head hits the pillow, this is the It's All Day podcast. Your home for knowledge and inspiration about fitness, nutrition, and the mentality behind what it takes to be great. I want to start off asking you about those post-it notes we were just talking yeah, about. Yeah, of course. So we were just talking about this before we got on the air. These post-it notes, something that I learned from one of my mentors, one of my coaches, it's something that I teach a lot of my clients. It's basically just called a power list. So the majority of every person I know, we're all really busy right now. And if we're not actually busy, we do a lot of things to make ourselves feel really busy. And we might not get anything done that we felt like we were supposed to get done that day. I don't know if you've ever had a day like that, where you feel like you're doing a ton of things and you feel busy, but when the day ends, you look back and you're like, did I actually do anything I was supposed to do today? Or did I just get distracted? Um, so these post-it notes is every day I'll basically write like five to-do lists. So I got five things I need to do every single day. And the goal is I've got my post-it notes and then I've got my planner. So my planner, I will write down weekly targets. And out of those weekly targets, I will take five of those to do things and put them over into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it might be. So when my day starts, I know I've got five tasks that will move me 1% closer to whatever my end goal is, whether that's in my body, whether that's in my business, relationships, spirituality, whatever it might be for the day. But I've only got five because I don't want to get overwhelmed. I don't want to get distracted. I want to keep myself focused on the most important things of the day. And if I accomplish all five of those, I don't know if you're like this with me, but I'm, I was an athlete young when I was younger, I played soccer in college and I'm a big to-do list kind of guy. I like crossing things off and there's a lot of like psychology around crossing things off a to-do list. So every time I cross one of these things off, it gives me a small dopamine hit that helps me kind of keep moving forward throughout the day. It's a small win. And at the end of it, if I do all five, I'll put a W on it and then I'll stick it on my wall, which is what you see behind me. And then if I don't, I'll move my screen over here really quick over there. Those are all my losses. So on my wall, every single day, I've basically created a scoreboard to where I can look back and I can see, okay, through the majority of the month, the week, whatever it might be, how many wins have I accomplished for the week? How many losses have I accomplished or how many losses have I, you know, been given because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So it helps keep me on track. And it also helps in two different ways. 
when you have to put three losses on the wall, it hurts, you know, like I, again, because I was an athlete when I was younger, I hate losing. I'm super competitive. So if I got to put three losses up in a row, I will literally snap myself out. I would go, Chris, what the, what are you doing? Like, this does not feel good. Um, but on the flip, if I'm putting a bunch of wins on the board, it gives me more energy. It gives me more of a sense of accomplishment in my day to go, okay, like we did everything we needed to do. Good job. This was a win for the day. Let's go home, eat, rest, and get right back to it to see if we can get another win. So it helps keep me accountable and it helps keep me focused on what I need to be doing. And I show pretty much all my clients this same little trick because I'm a, I'm a visual guy. I've, n- I've never seen something like that. That's, that's really cool. It, yeah. it seems like you're basically competing against yourself every day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, I mean, you have to keep that competition alive somehow. I'm curious with the, when you're going each week in that productivity planner, mm-hmm. do you have your like 90 day goals and your yearly goals? Do you have these other goals that you're basing this weekly plan off of? Yes. So right now in the mentorship group that I'm in, um, we're doing basically like a 75 day sprint. We started like a week in from November or no October. So we've got October, November, December, by the end of all of that 75 days, it will end pretty much the day before Christmas. So we've set out 75 day targets and from those targets, I'll go, okay, if I want to hit these 75 day targets in four different categories, body being balance and business, what do I need to do this week? to move me closer to those goals. So I'll take, I've got, you know, I've got multiple lists of like, here's my 75 day list. I'm going to break my 75 day list down into my weekly list. And I'm going to break my weekly list down into my daily list. So I've got daily metrics and daily little goals that I can achieve um, to get to the bigger goal. I did a whole store Facebook live talking about this because when people try and have big goals, you know, let's say somebody's trying to lose 20 pounds realistically, it's going to take them, you know, eight to maybe 12 months to do it right, to do it well, and to be able to, you know, keep it off for the rest of their lives. If you got to do something for a year, and the only goal you have is lose 20 pounds, it's so far away. And it seems so impossible to achieve at the point they're in, to where, you know, all it takes is one slip up, and they're completely discouraged. They don't want to do it anymore. They've given up versus if you can go, okay, you need to lose 20 pounds. What does that look like broken down month to month, week to week, day to day? And then what can we do to focus on just those accomplishments and keep your feet and keep your like field of view just one step in front of you? Mm-hmm. And if you can do that repeatedly, you can look up and you'll be at your end goal. Yeah. Get them to see that it's not two years away. Like it, it is right here but you just have to have mm-hmm. that vision kind of, what do you, do, do you use like numerical based goals? Like I know a lot of people set like, like number targets for a lot of their goals or do you have like yeah, more so, abstract things? Yeah. I've got the four categories that we're doing right now, body being balanced in business. So what that breaks down to is body is your physical body. So I've got goals for what I want to do with my physical body. Right now, I'm preparing for uh, another physique show that's going to be in May of 2022. So the majority of my body goals are all geared towards getting ready for that show, 
and also just continuing to learn the ATG system and getting more like further down the line of the certification process of it. Mm-hmm. Being is your spiritual body. So for me, that looks like meditating and journaling every single day, something that I used to do pretty religiously and I've gotten away from it. So in these 75 days, the big goal for that is just making sure I get back on track, reconnecting with my breath, reconnecting with journaling because it helps get a lot of the clutter in my head out onto some paper. And then I don't have to carry it around with me anymore. Um, Balance is relationships. So whether that's intimate relationships, friendships, um, business relationships, whatever it might be for me right now, I'm with my girlfriend and I know personally from past relationships in this business that when things start moving, when things start getting busy, my relationships tend to take a back burner because I'm, you know, when you're building a business, there is no nine to five. It's literally 24, seven, 365. So part of my goals and my being was I'm going to make a point to make sure that I take my girlfriend out on a planned surprise date every other week. So that's two times a month. And I literally wrote down 12 places that I'm going to take her and, you know, trying to get as detailed as I possibly can saying, these are the places we're going to go. I'm going to surprise her on these ones to make sure that I keep my relationship in check while I'm trying to grow my business, while I'm trying to work on my body. And the other parts of that balance is connecting with my friends and also just my family. Because as I get busy, I tend to just go like blinders on, talk to nobody, do what I need to get done. Um, But I know that I can't last if I do that. So balance is trying to find balance in all those types of relationships and then business having goals towards that business. Business is probably a little bit more metric number-based balance and being is a little less metric based, a little bit more spiritual, emotional based, and then fitness with your body is also a little bit numerical based. So they're a little bit different, but I've got kind of different categories to make sure I'm a well-balanced human being. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people have these different categories and it's not saying that you have to pick these exact four. Like you could just kind of find the ones that work for you and go with it. It's almost better Mm -hmm. if you make them unique, like you pick them. But at the end of the day, relationships and business and what's your body, what are your physiques? It's kind of everybody can relate to this stuff. I kind of want to dive into being though. Okay. I'm very interested in that part of you. What because really with this podcast, my whole goal is to to kind of merge nutrition and mental health because I think a lot yeah. of people don't give credit to how connected those two are. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm curious what you mentioned meditation. Maybe you could dive into that a little bit and then share some other practices that you found helpful for either mental clarity or even just like mental state in general. Yeah, for sure, man. I will say that I basically got into all of this really when I dove into nutrition, you know, having my own coach, then becoming a nutrition coach myself was because of mental health reasons. I was, I'd say probably four or five years ago, I was working at a CrossFit gym. Um, I was either still in school or just graduated college, had been working there for a couple of years. You know, fitness was no issue. I was working out every single day. I was playing soccer, all that type of stuff. But I went through a really bad breakup where the girl I was dating was 
a girl I brought to the gym and the gym was kind of my safe space. It was a place it's a, you know, for most people, it's usually a safe space where people go to let out their anger, their emotions, whatever's kind of pent up inside of them. And the people there were definitely like my family. So at the time I brought this girl basically into my family and then we had broken up and then she stayed there and she started dating somebody else at the gym. And I had to coach classes while they were both in my class. And because I was coaching, I had to put on a face and do my job and act like nothing was wrong. But internally I was fucking dying. Um, and I, at the time I had no idea how to process my emotions. I was probably like every typical, you know, stereotypical gym douchey guy was, you know, like feelings make you weak. You're a pussy. If you think that you're sad or like never show a girl that you have emotions because she'll just leave you all these types of negative thoughts. So when this happened, I got like massively depressed to where I almost lost my job. I had a really hard time getting out of bed. I didn't want to go to the gym anymore because my safe space was no longer my safe space. My safe space was now my nightmare. The, the girl that I loved at the time was now talking to somebody else and there was nothing I could do about it. So because I almost lost my job, I went and talked to my boss. And I'm like, listen, I, I can't do it, man. Like I can't work here. I can't get out of bed. I feel like shit. And he was basically like kind of like my big brother mentor in a way. And he was a, he used to be a Marine before he owned the gym. So I always viewed him as a tough macho kind of man who I'd aspire to be like. Mm. And when I told him all this, he was like, dude, have you ever considered going to therapy? And I was like, no, dude, therapy is for fucking pussies. Of course, I'm not going to therapy. Are you kidding me? Guys don't need therapy. If I can't figure out my own shit in my head, then I'm not a man. And he was like, dude, I went to therapy. Like, it's okay to go to therapy. And for me, having the, the big brother macho kind of guy tell me that it's okay to go to therapy, it kind of opened the door for me. And once I went to therapy, it, I mean, no joke, it saved my life for sure. I wasn't suicidal or anything like that, but my life would be a lot worse and I would not be here talking to you today if I had never gone to therapy. Because growing up, I never was taught how to process emotions. I was never taught how to handle heartbreak, handle adversity, any of these types of things. My family was very much, you got a problem, drink about it until you don't think about it anymore and then it'll go away. So that's yeah, all I knew. Not a, good, not a good strategy. Yeah. So as I went to therapy and I was able to just, you know, process everything and get it all out it you know changed my perspective on a lot of things and as I dove into it more and more I realized how often when I was growing up that I used to cope with food drugs alcohol sex girls whatever I had all these negative coping mechanisms used to try to avoid and numb out the emotions and pains that were going on inside of me because I didn't know how to process them. Um, and food, you know, it started out when I was young, before I ever knew about drugs and alcohol, it was food. So like, I was never like a really fat kid, but I was, I was pretty chubby. I used to legitimately steal bags of chips from the kitchen and go eat them in my room and then hide them behind my bookshelf. And I would go eat corn dogs and hide the wrappers under my bed, like all the types of things. Um, as I got older, it became alcohol because I started to find out alcohol. I'm like, okay, well, this is a little bit better than food because 
you know, you start caring a little bit less what people think you start, you know, numbing out a little bit. It's not that bad. The hangover kind of sucks, but you know, you're young, you don't really care. And then alcohol turned into chicks. And I was like, well, chicks make you feel really good for about, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. And then you feel like shit again. And it doesn't really help that much. And then I found drugs and I'm like, well, drugs kind of help too. And you just realize all of those were just very short term gratifications and all they did was just take a little chunk of you in, internally every time you used one of them because you were just not addressing the actual wound. Um, so as I went into nutrition coaching, my nutrition coach, she was able to help me along with therapy, show me how connected whenever you know I was talking to a girl, things didn't work out. I would go out Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I would drink and I would eat all the foods and I would just feel like shit because I was just trying to numb away the heartbreak. And those were the only coping mechanisms I had at the time. And then through nutrition coaching and therapy, I learned different ways of coping with these emotions to where I no longer needed the food, the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, or any of that types of things, because I realized those weren't going to actually give me what I wanted or what I needed. And what I really needed was just to feel the pain instead of run away from the pain. So I'm, I'm pretty big on mental health and all of these types of things, because it's, it's been a massive part of my growth in the last five or six years. It seems like that's the case for most people who talk about this stuff. They were, mm -hmm. they were at rock bottom and then now they've turned their lives around and they have these systems like your note cards and they've created this super organized, like anybody who's organized, ask them about their life and they will tell you a dark story. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just how it works. Most people don't get to that point unless they've been there. Your story's your story's pretty. It's really cool. I really like the the aspect with the guy at the gym because guys are not talking about this stuff, and that's the big reason why I want to start talking about this stuff because yeah, it's like it's so tabooed for me to even tell someone like be grateful, like like take some time to like feel some gratitude. They're like shut up. And I was in the mm -hmm. same spot like five months ago, so I get it. Um, emotionally, though, like, do you think these, you're basically saying that we have these voids that we're trying to fill, it seems like. So are these voids always like, ah, oh, my girlfriend broke up with me, I'm going to fill this void? Or is it like something deeper? Like, do you know stuff about psychology and these past traumas that stick with us for 10, 15, 20 years. What can you, what can you say about that? Yeah. Um, I know for me, especially I can tell you probably two significant ones that I've come to discover. So the first one was we can start with just general, the girl, the heartbreaks, all those types of things. Breakups used to destroy me when I was, when I was younger, I would just get all tore up about them. I'm a huge, uh, like a helpless romantic, wear my heart on my sleeve. Like once I love you, like I love you hard, but it kind of takes me a little bit of time to get there. Um, the first, I want to say three girlfriends I ever had cheated on me. So I had like immense trust issues and it also created a really shitty sense of self-worth because uh, once that first happened, it was the first time I kind of started telling myself the story. See, you're just not good enough. Like if you were a good enough guy, if you were a worthy enough guy, she wouldn't have cheated on you. She wouldn't have left. It's something you did. It's something, it's like some way that you act. 
like you're too much of a pussy, like you're not strong enough, you're not big, like all of these really negative um, conversations were the things that I used to talk to myself a lot. And I had a meditation, I want to say maybe a year ago, where I had been talking to my coach about a different relationship that I was in. And in that relationship, it was, it was really toxic. I was with somebody that constantly made me think what I was doing. It was just never good enough. So it was like the perfect storm. It was everything I didn't want, but secretly like I craved it because my big goal was like, I want to date a girl who makes me feel like I'm not enough, but I prove it to her that I am enough. And she's going to be like, you know what, Chris, you're right. You are good enough. I made a huge mistake. You're the best. Like, that's what I wanted. So I would find girls that made me feel like shit. So I could try this narrative out that I've been trying to figure out internally, because I thought I needed the girl to tell me I was good enough to, to solve that void. Um, and I was in this meditation. And as I was talking to one of my coaches, he's like, dude, you, you got to love yourself a little bit more, man. And for me, like, that's just, I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't know how to do that for starters. I really don't know how to do that. But in this one meditation, I basically got into this really trippy state from through literally just breath, bro. It was like the craziest meditation I've ever been in. But I visualized me going back to my high school, seeing Chris when he was, you know, 15 years old, right after the first time he got cheated on. I could vividly see myself sitting in my locker, hands hugging around my knees, like crying in my lap. And I went up, I went over to younger Chris, sat down next to him. And in the meditation that I'm listening to, it's like, all right. And like, now, like, you know, love yourself, give yourself a hug, whatever it might be. So while I was meditating, I gave myself a hug. And in my meditation, I could feel myself giving the hug as 26 year old Chris and receiving the hug as 15 year old Chris. I got to experience both perspectives of it. And when that had happened, for starters, I was bawling my eyes out. Um, yeah. But secondly, it was the first time I'd ever seen my inner child. Something that I talked about with my therapist a ton. Everyone's got this inner child in them where whatever first wound, trauma, whatever happened to that kid and those emotions were never expressed. They've been repressed over years and years and years. And for most people, when they have a lot of you know, outlashes, when they try to use drugs or alcohol to numb out the pain really a couple layers deeper there's this inner child trauma that they've never addressed and for me in this meditation I was able to basically see that inner child that 14 year old who got cheated on for the first time and when I was hugging myself I told him like Chris I I see you man I see you like you've been here this whole time and I've not paid attention to you ever. And I've never held you and I've never let you cry. And I've never let you just get this pain out, but I see you. And now that I see you, I'll never forget that you're here and I'll never let anybody hurt you ever again. And the girl that I was with at the time, I had this meditation and literally, I think the next day I broke up with her um, because I told myself, if you stay with this girl, you were going to let this 14 year old kid get emotionally abused every single day because you're going to let her say some shit that makes you feel like you're not doing enough, even though you are. And if you stay with this girl, you're going to let this 14 year old kid get abused. And if you just told yourself that you saw him, it's your job now as a man who's older, stronger, more capable to protect him. 
So you got to do what you got to do. And I broke up with her and it was incredibly difficult. It was the first girl I'd ever broken up with. Most of my last relationships, it was either she broke up with me or she cheated on me. So like the relationship just ended. This was one where I really liked her. I really did. But our relationship was just toxic and she really liked me. So when I tried to break up with her, it was just incredibly difficult. And I had to stand firm for that inner child. Because if I didn't, he would never trust me. You know, and that's a big thing that people have issues with is they they might have this inner child and this trauma and they say they want to work on it and they say they're going to do better. And this inner child hears everything that they're going to say and then they don't follow up with it and they don't do any of the things that they said they were going to do. Hmm. And if you have this inner child, it's like if you were a father and you had a son and, you know, your son hurt himself or something happened, you say, don't worry, son, like, I'll be there. You got this. And if you don't show up, he doesn't trust you you've broken the trust. So once I saw that kid, I had to start rebuilding that trust with him to let him know, like, no, you are worthy. You are good enough. This girl, she doesn't deserve to talk shit to you. And I'm going to make sure she's not here. So she can't. And when I did that, I was like a wave of confidence. It was massive for me because at that point I told myself, Chris, if you can break up with, you know, the hottest girl you've ever been with to protect your inner child, no girl, will ever hurt you ever again because now you know how to stand up for yourself where before I would let a toxic girl be toxic to me because I needed to change her mind and I needed her approval but now it shifted to where I was more concerned with my inner child than with whatever she had to say if she was going to do shit that made me feel bad and tried to attack that inner child she was not allowed in my space ever again um, so that was a massive one for me that's powerful, man. Like, thank you for sharing that because, again, people need to talk about that kind of stuff and that inner boy, like, how do you love him? That's the question everybody's asking. A lot of people don't know, like you talked about, that they actually have that that little kid in them that's hurting mm -hmm. or they're covering it up, like you said, with drugs or getting into weed and they're drinking every weekend and... It's like, that's not the answer, man. Like, yeah. I think a lot of kids are doing this with nicotine now. They are. I did that too. But again, it's it's not the answer. There's these short-term no. things. Yeah, they're it's, gonna make you feel good for a second. Yeah. Yeah, like literally 20 seconds, 20 minutes, whatever. Like you said, each one's a little different. Mm -hmm. So this inner child kind of stays with us is what is what you're getting at. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, I believe that inner child is going to always be with you. He, your inner child is the days when you don't care what anybody else thinks. You're just like overflowing with joy. You know, like when you were a kid, you see kids do this all the time. Kids before they ever get influenced, they don't care what anybody has to say about them. They will act goofy. They'll run around. They'll trip and fall. They'll make mistakes. And they won't look at themselves and be like, oh, my God, you're an idiot. You just tripped over. Like, everyone's probably making fun of you right now. Like, they don't think about that. They just get up and they keep moving. It's because they haven't gotten to the point where their subconscious is now critiquing what they do. They don't have this other person now being like, oh, bro, that's embarrassing. Don't do that. And you just hear small comments like that over time as you grow up. And that narrative starts to run in the background and it now affects the decisions that this inner child makes because now this inner child, it depends on how you were raised. 
You know, you might have parents that no matter what mistakes you did, like they just believed in you. They just, they're like, dude, do it again. You got this. It's no problem. And you see those types of people on social media, they don't give a fuck what anybody <laughs> has to say about them because they know like they've been raised to not give a fuck what anybody says. But you've also got other people that grow up and if they, you know, made a mistake or something because their parents were stressed from work or maybe they weren't around to tell them these things and like they make a mistake and they're like, hey, come on, you shouldn't do that. Are you kidding me? You're six years old and you're still doing this? Like the second a parent says that to a kid, the kid internalizes it. And there's another book that I read. It's, let me see if I can find it really quick. It's, yeah. It's called Adult Children and Emotionally Immature Parents. How to Heal from Distant, Rejecting, and Self-Involved Parents. This is a heavy book for any of your listeners who feel like they might not have had uh, the best relationship or the best childhood kind of growing up, and they might think that they've got some inner child healing to do. That book, it'll, it'll start bringing it to the surface because you see that most children when one of these things happen, because they're little, because they're, they're small and their parents are kind of all they know, they usually do like one of two things. You see, you know, if a kid gets in trouble, he'll either throw like a big time tantrum and he'll throw all the blame on the parents. And he's like, this is your fault. I didn't even do anything. Fuck you. And they scream and they yell and they kick because they want attention and they want their parents to come give them a hug tell them it's okay because they really want that love after, you know, something happened. Or you see the second kid who instead of throwing a tantrum to get, a to get attention will internalize whatever the parents said. And what they will come to the conclusion is, is that mom and dad must've said that to me because of something I did. So now from a very young age, they start to blame themselves for having emotions. If they feel bad, if they feel guilty, if they feel embarrassed, if they feel any of these things because their parents yelled at them, made fun of them, weren't around, they'll start saying, this must be my fault that mommy and daddy are feeling this way. It must be something that I did. And they won't share it with their parents because typically if they hold it in, their parents aren't the type of parents to come to their room and be like, hey, like you haven't been talking very much all day. Is anything up? They don't say that. They just go, okay, good. The kid got it. He's quiet, whatever. But secretly that kid is internalizing each one of these comments and putting the blame on himself. So now he says to himself, whenever I have these emotions, it's nobody else's fault. It must be my fault. If somebody's mad at me, it must be my fault. They're mad at me. If somebody's making me feel guilty, it must be my fault that I'm making them feel guilty. If somebody's sad, whatever it might be. And that creates a very negative feedback loop for a lot of kids growing up. And those are typically like the people pleasers. You see, they're terrified to, to stir the pot, to have any confrontation, because when they grew up, they were taught, you don't confront mom and dad. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's almost like we're getting these feedback loops for our subconscious who becomes this person that we almost interact with. And they have this framework for us as a, as a person to act in the world. And when those frameworks are installed into us in a way like <clears throat> a lot of the times they're just based on the, that one thing that mom that mom and dad said mm -hmm. and it sets that program in you for forever 15, yeah so yeah how do you, yeah so forever how do you can you can you 
reverse those things or do you just yeah. find a new way to observe it? Like, I guess there's a difference there. Like people would say you can rewrite stuff or mm -hmm. do you just find a new way? Yeah. I mean, I think you could probably do either or, or both. Um, for most people, the hardest thing for them is to just recognize and have the self-awareness to realize that the reason that they're snappy, the reason they have an attitude with their boyfriend or girlfriend, the reason they act a certain way isn't necessarily because of that thing that just happened. It's probably something deeper if it continues to happen over and over and over again. For me, the thing that really helped me find all this was I was like, dude, I don't want this to be the way my relationships are going to be like for the rest of my life. Like I, this must, this can't be right. Like my last three girlfriends have, bro have cheated on me. My last three after that were just train wrecks. Like this is, I see other people, like, how are they doing it? And, you know, when I, I used to go on YouTube and I would binge relationship coaches and kind of learn as much as I possibly could, and then go talk to therapists and kind of dig up what these internal things might be. If it wasn't the reason I say therapy saved my life, I would have never discovered these things if it wasn't for the therapist. And they don't really do a whole lot. They just give you an hour where they say, what's on your mind? And for me, like the first, you know, two or three sessions, I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know why I'm here. This is stupid. My boss told me I should do it. I'm a little upset, but like, whatever. I'm like, all right, well, what are you upset about? And by like the third session, I'm like, all right, do you really want to know? You want to hear it? And then it just all comes out because people have just repressed these things for so long. And then you get an hour to just lay it all out to a person who isn't your friend. They're not in your friend group. They're not going to judge you for anything you're saying. They're just there to listen. And most of us don't have somebody to just listen with no judgment for an hour. And after I did it, you know, session after session after session, you start to realize like there's a couple of reoccurring themes every time you talk about these relationships. And it might be, you know, you're saying it's because of this girl, but everything you're saying sounds like, did it ever happen before this? And I'm like, yeah, it happened all the time with my parents. They're like, okay, so what's up with your relationship with your parents? And I'm like, oh, that's a whole nother thing. And then you get into that entire story, you go back and you eventually get to the point where like, this must have been where it first happened, or this is the one that you can remember the most. And that from that point, you start to then dissect, okay, here's the story that you've told yourself about something that happened when you were six. Is this story the truth? Or is this the story that you told yourself was the truth for this moment when you were six years old? You dive into that. You find out what are the facts. You find out who you need to talk about, who you might need to confront about this thing that happened when you were six years old. And then through things like meditation, through things like journaling, talk therapy, you can then rewrite the story to what happened in that moment. Because a lot of the things for me in my relationships in therapy, I was able to go, okay, this is what happened. And she goes, okay, now how is that a good thing that this happened? And I'm like, there's nothing. What do you mean? There's no good thing that happened because I got fucking cheated on. She's like, no, like, think about it. Did anything good come from this? I'm like, yeah, I, you know, found out that obviously this isn't the type of girl that I want to be with. I found out this is what I did in my part of the relationship that probably caused her to cheat. And you find out, like, you just start finding out all these little lessons. And when you find out lessons from these stories, it helps you rewrite them. 
Because if you had a traumatic experience and all you've labeled it is, as is a traumatic experience, it doesn't help you. But if you've had a traumatic experience to where you can learn a lesson from it, now it's a pivotal life-changing moment in your life. And that's got a completely different ring to it than a traumatic experience. Yeah, it does. And that allows you to reframe those things and move through them to where they're no longer bothering you anymore. And they're no longer triggering you anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it does have a good ring to it. It seems like you have that similar framework to what Ben Patrick, Knees Over Toes guy, he he always talks about, or at least I've heard him talk about it a couple of times, how like when something happens to you, now this is a little different because you're going way back, but like when you run into a problem, take the lesson and get rid of it. Like don't hold on to it because, Mm -hmm. I mean, I know personally I've held on to mistakes for six, seven, eight, nine months. And it's like, why am I still thinking about this? Like the lesson it's right there. Like just, but it, those negative cycles are tough. Yeah. How do you break those? How do you break negative thinking cycles? For me, a couple different things. I guess it, it really depends on what the specific one might be. But generally speaking, one is that my therapist shared with me was, all right, what are the, what are the facts of the story? What are the facts of this negative reoccurring loop that keeps happening? Is it true, whatever the story you're telling yourself? Yes or no? If your answer is no, it's not true. It's just what I keep telling myself in my head. That's the first step. And hopefully you get to the point where you're like, yeah, it's not true. Okay, good. Let's start moving to the next process. It's not true. So why do you care? Got to answer that question as to why you care before you can move on from it. If you go, yes, it is true. This is 100% true. There's no way around it. It's like, okay, cool. Is it going to matter a week from now? It's like, fuck yeah, it is. It's totally going to matter. It's going to still suck. It's like, okay, cool. Is it going to matter a month from now? I mean, yeah, a little bit, but like at that point, like some other shit will probably come up and that'll probably matter a little bit too. It's like, okay, good. What about three months from now? You're like, no, I mean, probably not, but I might still think about it a little bit. I'm like, cool. All right. What about a year from now? Like, no, a year from now, it's not really going to matter that much. It's like, okay, cool. So it's not going to matter a year from now. It's only barely going to matter three months from now. It's only going to kind of matter a month from now. Is it really that big of a deal? probably not I guess not and if you don't believe this if you guys are listening you're like not Chris sounds nice I've heard this shit before (laughs) have a traumatic experience it doesn't need to be traumatic but have a shitty moment happen to give you guys an example of what I did there was a girl I was talking to when I was in college it was my senior year it was her senior year she's originally from Seattle we talked for about three months I was ready to date her and fall in love with her and hope that she stayed in Florida. And she's like, I'm going back to Seattle. And I'm like, well, that sucks because I live in Florida and that's literally as far away as possible. And we stopped talking and it just kind of faded away. And I was immediately, you know, the emotions and heartbroken. This sucks. God, why she have to move? Whatever. I put a note in my phone or a reminder in my phone, Kelly, heartbreak this date. Remind me in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. So 30 days from the day that she left, I got a notification. Said Kelly heartbreak. And I asked myself, 
am I really that heartbroken over it? 30 days from now? And you're like, nah, not really. Six months from now, I'm like, no, totally forgot about her. Nine months from now, I'm like, I didn't even know this notification was going to pop up. Who like, fuck? I haven't seen Kelly in forever. And then you do it once and you prove to yourself, see, it actually doesn't matter nine months from now. So if you guys don't believe me, test out the theory, have something happen and set some reminders and you'll prove to yourself that over time you care a little bit less. And if you can continue to prove yourself that over time you'll care less, you'll be able to believe that you can break negative feedback loops. Most people have just never done anything to actually try to break the negative feedback loops. So they just tell themselves it's always going to be there. And it's like, well, what have you done? It's like, well, nothing. I've just thought about it 24 seven nonstop. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> that's not really going to help you. Is it like, we got to try to figure out a way to prove yourself that it will get better. Cause if you can prove yourself over time, you'll care less and less and less and things will start to hurt a little bit less and less and less. Yeah. You can't just keep doing the same thing, right? You, you have to find a new, I mean, it seems like you have all these, interesting tactics for how you you go about things but they're it's those little tactics that sometimes people need they need that like a game to play with themselves to mm -hmm. to realize that this stuff isn't it's not that it doesn't matter it's just that it happened and there's no reason to keep thinking about it like yeah. it happened it, it's cool it just doesn't matter as much as most people want it to matter because most people want it to matter a lot because honestly, they don't have a whole lot going on in their lives. Mm. Most, and this is going to hurt people's feelings, but I'm sorry okay. to tell you this. It is the fucking truth. Most people that, you know, live your stereotypical nine to five job, they do their work, they come home, they got a family. It's just super like they're on a track. Their life isn't that exciting. So when some sort of like devastation happens or heartbreak or hurt, they make a really big deal out of it because honestly, they just want to feel stuff. And they know that if they decide to move past this thing pretty quickly, all of the, the feelings that they got that were outside of their normal routine go away. So like, well, no, I mean, yeah, I know I should get out of this. Yeah, I know I should get out of this negative cycle, but fuck like that little hit whenever I feel like shit and I feel like my world's like, falling apart even if it's falling apart at least it's something at least it's better than my typical routine so i just want some sort of excitement some sort of intensity um so a lot of people won't even work on getting past these things because they're like well what happens after that and it's like well if you you know read books learn skills get over these things you can then start doing more interesting things in your life to where these things that used to really bother you and like ruin your day they're not as significant because you've got bigger things going on. Another great way to break out of negative feedback loops is I dude, I used to never read books ever. High school, college, never read a fucking book. Didn't buy the books, would just borrow people's books. I'd read spark notes, whatever it would be. I started reading after college and I've, you know, I don't even know how many books are in my bookshelf right now. Maybe, you know, almost a hundred. And it's all books on mindset. It's all books on psychology. It's all books on relationships, everything that I never learned. And I got to learn so many different perspectives. And each one of those perspectives made me think, huh, like I never thought of relationships like that. I never thought of nutrition like that. I never thought of like a growth mindset like that. And all of these stories 
are other examples of like, okay, if these people can change and go from their worst moments to their best, then why can't I? Like that's usually and typically where I want to help bring people is to get them to the point where they ask themselves the question, why can't I do it? Because if they see other people just like them do it, there's no reason you can't. Yeah, it's the hero's journey. 100%. That's cool, cool, man. So are these like, so one of your mental frameworks, I call these mental frameworks, I guess. Yeah. I've just kind of come across them this last year, really, because I found them very Mm -hmm. powerful. For example, one of the ones Keegan gave me was, observing pain with curiosity so when i was in a lot of pain that was something that just flipped my whole world up like to be able to to look at my body and say okay what do you what's going on here um what are you trying to tell me so it seems like one of your frameworks is like take the lesson kind of and see does it is it going to matter what are some other ones that you've found helpful uh throughout all your discoveries and frames of mind, mindset, psychology? Yeah, um, some of the big ones for me are one that I love. There's a book by a guy named Mark Manson. It's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Mm -hmm. Great book. It was actually the first book I ever read out of all of them. And he talks about everyone's got a shit sandwich that they have to eat every single day. And what he means by that is there are things in your life that you're going to have to do that are going to suck regardless, whether you work a nine to five job in a cubicle or whether you're a CEO of a multi-million dollar business, each one of those people have to eat a shit sandwich every single day. At some point, it's going to be stuff they don't want to do. They don't like, and you got to ask yourself if everyone has to eat a shit sandwich, nobody gets away from it. What type of shit sandwich do you want to eat every single day? Cause for me, you know, part of the reason I started a business, part of the reason I'm big into fitness and nutrition and I work out and I track my meals and I go to sleep and I have a whoop and I track my numbers on my sleep and all of these things. For some people, when they hear that, they go, dude, Chris, that sounds like shit, dude. Like, I don't want to track my meals. I don't want to have to like track my numbers when I work out. I got a food prep. You're telling me I got to make my bed, like all these things. They think it's so shitty. And I'm like, listen, I'd much rather eat that shit sandwich every single day than feel as depressed and unmotivated and drunk and high that I used to when I was in college and high school. Like those shit sandwiches sucked because for those people, they're like, yeah, well, like I get to drink. I don't have to track my food. Who cares? Working out. It's fucking stupid, whatever. I'm just gonna go hang out with my boys. And it's like, cool. You get to hang out with your boys, but like, guess what the shit sandwich you're eating every single day is, is you secretly feel insecure. You secretly feel weak. You got no energy. You have terrible sleep. You're probably going to get sick. You're probably going to have some sort of like metabolic issues as you get older and you don't even realize it, but you're eating that shit sandwich every single day because you'd rather drink party and fuck. And I'd rather eat the shit sandwich that moves me forward in life, then eat the shit sandwich that keeps me in the exact same spot, if not moves me backwards. So that was a big one for me and recognize like most people think they can avoid pain. They try their damnedest. You know, most people, we order everything on Amazon so we don't have to go to stores. We get our groceries delivered. There's plenty of places to eat food out. 
you know, dad bods are in, people don't even care if you're that jacked or whatever. Like everyone wants to live a comfortable, pain-free life. But the reality is everyone's eating a shit sandwich, whether you know it or not. So you got to ask yourself, which one do you want to eat? Um, that's a big one for me that I took from that book. So that one, another one would be just like, nothing is as important as you think it is which is a little bit of like a converse of the first one, but we all, and myself included all the time, we all look at our world as the field of view is Chris Page, Chris's universe in front of me. The whole world is Chris's universe. And we don't realize that when Max wakes up every single day, his universe is Max's universe. So we are so concerned about how people look at us, what people think about us. We think we're getting judged 24 seven, whether you're first starting out in your fitness journey and you think, God, everyone's probably making fun of me in the gym. Everyone probably thinks I'm so stupid tracking my numbers. Everyone thinks I'm not going to make it all this like negative stuff because we think we're so important in this world. And the reality is every single other person also thinks they're the most important thing in this world. So they're really not giving that much of a shit about you. So as much as you might think like it's so important to look really good in the gym or you think it's so embarrassing if you mess up in the gym, like, dude, everyone else is so concerned about themselves that you honestly could just live your life towards whatever goals you want to achieve. And if you just focused on yourself and stopped giving a shit what everyone else thought about you, you would progress so much faster. And so many people don't do this and they think it's wrong to be selfish, but you gotta be selfish in this sense because if you don't go after whatever you want and you let judgment stop you, when you're old, you're gonna regret it. And that's when you see like old people that are just like fucking cranky and they talk shit and they yell at you and they're just in bad moods all the time. It's because they're filled with regret. So... Those ones, and then I'll tell you one last one. One last one that I know is a really good one for me was switching the word should to get to. So a lot of us will say things like, "Ah, you know, I should go to the gym. I should track my numbers. I should go to bed early. I should, I should, I should. And shoulds, it's not really coming from a place of abundance. It's usually coming from a place of lack. I'm like, ah, I really should be doing this because I don't have blah, blah, blah. But if you can shift, I should to, I get to, now you're shifting your mental state to a state of abundance. I get to work out. I get to track my meals. You get to shift your mind into a state of gratitude because you're realizing not, not everybody gets to do this. Not everybody gets to work on their health and fitness because maybe some people can't afford it. Some people might be in a shitty situation where they can't go to the gym and you can every single day but you make it sound like it's such a bad thing. Like, oh, I know I should go to the gym. But if you can say like, I get to go to the gym, I get to work on my health. I get to have relationships. I get to go on podcasts with other people and talk about things. It makes you feel 10 times better about your day because you're coming from a place of gratitude and abundance. Yeah. Gratitude is really embedded in that phrasing of get to. Mm -hmm. That's, that's awesome. I do use, if you use like emotional, have you gotten into this like heart math kind of thing where you actually 
generate emotions or even in your journaling practice where you, you journal about your emotions like gratitude and yes I, I guess i've just found it powerful to be able to bring up like compassion care gratitude yes. things like that yeah i definitely have one of my journals um it literally was every single day you woke up and it was like what are three gratitudes that you can have for today what are three things you can say positive about yourself and what are three things that you hope happen today um and i used to do that one for a couple months to really get me into that mindset but it took me a while dude i still struggle with it daily there's times when just you know you get stressed you kind of forget about being grateful for things and you you get into that monotonous day-to-day -day routine and that's part of the reasons why i do things like meditation and i get to journal because i'm giving myself that break out of this routine i'm closing my eyes i'm not letting any outside source influence my behavior i'm going internal i'm kind of asking myself like how like how are you feeling right now are you feeling okay are you feeling stressed what's going on and as i write in my journal i write either things of that came up in my meditation or i'll set intentions for my day setting intentions for me has been pretty massive um, because i feel like whenever i write down like this is what i intend to do today it you're making a promise to yourself and writing it down is 10 times more powerful than just saying it in your head. Because most of us just say things in our head of like, yeah, I'm totally going to do this today. And you don't tell anybody, you don't write it down, you don't proclaim it. It's just like a little idea in the back of your head. But if you write down on a piece of paper, I intend to do X, Y, and Z, you will be like way more inclined to actually going after them because it's a declaration of what your intentions for the day are. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, you have to 10 times that actually that, that literally might be like accurate in terms of like it might sound like you're exaggerating, but like just Yeah, no, it's definitely not. There's a there's a guy named Trevor Moad who is a sports performance coach. He actually just passed away like probably this last year. Um, but one of the studies he did was he found that if you said anything out loud it was 10 times more powerful than if you just thought it and he also said if you say anything negative out loud it's a multiple of six so you can say something out loud that's positive and it's 10 times more powerful than if you just thought it if you say something out loud that's negative it's 60 times more powerful than thinking it because negativity is always going to be stronger than positivity but saying it out loud makes it even worse than ever just thinking it. So if we know these, and they did this whole study on this, if we know this, you should really try to never say negative things about yourself or situations out loud because you're only making it 60 times worse. Hmm. And conversely, you should really practice saying some things positively about yourself out loud because the majority of us never really give ourselves credit or applause for anything so if you looked at like the 24-hour day period you probably have said more negative things about yourself than positive so if you can start saying a couple positive things about yourself out loud you can help kind of tip that scale and feeling a little bit more confident about yourself instead of beating yourself up all the time yeah i honestly i've recently come across paul check has this um, morning mirror gratitude mm -hmm. practice where you 
instead of saying thing things you're grateful for like that i have this house and this food you you look yourself in the eyes and you say what are three things you're grateful for about yourself and i was like damn like that's powerful it's yeah. it's hard like the most bizarre thing about that is that the first day i did it i was like staring at myself for 10 minutes but like now it takes me 20 seconds and i just mm. i'm firing these things off one of the things you said about meditation interests me because i think a meditation it's very associated with thought and like mm. you're clearly you're clearly saying that thought is powerful like and even declaring that thought into physical reality is very, very powerful. A lot of people do meditation where they're they're really just trying to notice their thoughts and then let it go. Like this is this whole mindfulness movement where notice your thought and then try to get back into your body. But the way mm. you were describing it almost sounded like you're actually like just closing your eyes and talk. you're having a conversation. So do you play around with both of those kind of meditations? Yes. I've done, I've definitely done, there's so many different forms of meditation and I've tried, you know, a solid amount of them. Um, that one, you know, particularly as you're trying to like have a conversation with yourself, you're just basically doing like a body scan. You're trying to ask yourself from like head to toe. Okay. Like if you could imagine, you know, like any like movie when they scan somebody and you see like the little green line go over their entire body, mm -hmm. I'm trying to do the exact same thing kind of in my mind. I'm like, all right, from like head to toe, like what's going on is my, you know, my eyebrows tense, is my jaw clenched? Am I breathing okay? Or do I feel like I have a pit in my stomach? Are my shoulders all hunched up? Am I like really tight? Or am I super relaxed? What's going on? And if you do that body scan, you'll start to realize that a lot of your emotions get held up in your body. Um, and if you can start to notice those things and actually physically help relax that tension, you'll notice the difference when you do. Um, it takes, it took me a while to kind of dive into a lot of these different things, but I've definitely done things like that, like body scans. Um, there's other ones that you can do where you can notice, am I having a feeling or am I having a thought? So when people meditate, a thought might pop in their head and they'll, you can just tell yourself mentally say, this was a thought, go back to your meditation, focus on your breath. You then might have a, t a time when like, your knee starts to ache, something starts to make a little feeling in your body and okay, that's a feeling. Okay. So now I've got thoughts, I've got feelings. And then another one would be judgments. So as you're meditating, ask yourself, how many times does like a random judgment pass through your mind? Do you have a feeling in your knee? Cause you're sitting cross-legged and you're like, okay, well, my knee's starting to ache. And then is the next immediately thought happen? Like, dude idiot like you need to work on your stretching of course your knees are fucking tight because your your hips are tight you should be stretching more and you recognize like that's a judgment and then you start to see over time you realize okay when i'm thinking in my head am i thinking thoughts am i feeling feelings or am i actually just judging myself or somebody else and you'll notice that most people we judge a lot and pretty often so that meditation is really massive to bring awareness to the fact that People are pretty judgy, whether it's about the weather, whether it's about a person, an event, a thing, whatever it might be, you put a label on it and you can ask yourself like, okay, is that label positive or is that label negative? Do I judge 80% of the time when I'm having thoughts every single day? And if I judge 80% of the time every single day, maybe that's why I kind of have a bad attitude and low energy all the time. 
And that helps bring awareness to what's going on in your head. Versus there's one other one where as I meditate, I imagine that there's, you know, that little monkey mind inside your head. And I try to zoom out from my body and shine a spotlight on the monkey. And typically what I tell myself is if I shine a spotlight on the monkey, if I can notice the crazy thoughts going on, he'll freeze because he doesn't like being caught. The monkey mind doesn't like to know that he's being watched because when he's watched, he goes, mm, I should probably should keep it down. Obviously he's meditating. He doesn't want me to be loud right now. So if I do meditations where I try to focus on whenever a thought pops up, I turn the spotlight on him and the thoughts go away. And then I get back into my thought, into my breath. If I can practice that skill over time, I can quiet that monkey mind. So he's not constantly chatting at me 24 seven, making noise when I need to focus. So there's a couple of different types of meditations that I've messed around with. Do you use breath work as your anchor or have you ever messed around with like sound or other kind of sensations, I guess? Yeah, I've done, so like breath work, I've done different types, whether it's just like specific sets of like inhales, holds, exhales. I've done the Wim Hof breathing method, freaking love it. Um, I've messed around with sounds for sure. And just like different types of guided meditations that have different frequencies of sounds because different frequencies will kind of instill a different reaction in your body. So you can look up on YouTube, you know, meditations for focus, meditations for positive energy. And you might find one that says, you know, positive energy meditation at like 432 gigahertz or whatever the, the specific frequency of sound is. And the entire meditation will go at that frequency that they know can help calm the body down or bring out more positive energy, whatever it might be. So I definitely love diving into all that stuff. I'm not super well-versed in sound, but I know that it has a massive effect on the body. Yeah. I think when I first got exposed to it, I was like, that seems a little, little out there. But then I, I listened to a couple of people talk about it. It's like, if, if, if all of life is energy, I mean, that's very like blanket way of talking about things, but if it's all vibrating at a certain frequency, then like it would make sense that if you play a frequency, I think the one I always use is 528 Hertz. It's like, I don't even know. I think I saw a YouTube video talking about why it's like a magical frequency. I don't, and I just play it in the background instead of music, but it, it does elevate your body and it alters. Mm -hmm. But I was also talking about the sound of like, so instead of like paying attention to your breath in meditation, Mm. some people will actually pay attention to the noises and it's a weird phenomenon because most people think if I'm going to meditate, I need to be silent, but yeah, you can actually make the sounds kind of like these objects. Yeah. I don't think I've ever, I probably have done it every, like maybe a couple times, but not like super consistently, but I do like that. It's a great, it's a great exercise to be able to put your focus on a certain thing because a lot of people can't do that. We don't have a very good skill of like directing our focus. Usually our focus gets shot to us through advertisings and our phones and social media, and they all have a specific way to grab our attention. So if you can build out that skill, I'm sure it's got a ton of power. So focus, you think is something that people are lacking? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I myself struggle with focus. It's why I've built all these different types of frameworks, because I know that I'm like, I got ADHD, 
I have a hard time sitting in a room. It's part of the reason I mean, I was an athlete my entire time growing up. So I had tons of outlets to let all that energy out, but I was God awful at school because I freaking hated sitting in a classroom, listening to a teacher go over a whiteboard slides of something that just didn't really interest me. Um, if you found the right types of things to interest me, my ADHD would kick in massively and I would go like full in. And that's usually what I do nowadays. Um, so it's a gift in itself to be able to, to go down rabbit holes once you find the right ones. Um, but I struggled with focus massively and I still do. And I don't beat myself up for it. I just, I'm honest with myself and I'm like, listen, you struggle with focusing. Let's not beat around the bush here. How can you fix that? Or how can you help build frameworks around it? So you don't have to rely on willpower to make you focus as much. Because most people realize like, I can't really focus and they just use willpower and that runs out after, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, most people's willpower will give out. So if you know that willpower is going to give out, what kind of frameworks can you build so you don't have to rely on willpower? It's the same thing with nutrition. With most people, everyone thinks like, okay, if I'm going to do nutrition, I'm going to eat healthy. I got to change everything 180 about myself. Like I'm going to completely change myself. It's like, listen, no, like who are you? And find out who you are specifically. And if you realize like you're the type of person who loves fucking sweets and you're trying to work on your health and fitness, do yourself a favor. Don't put sweets in the house because you know it's one of your weaknesses. Just have the awareness to recognize that. Um, so for me with Focus, I have the sticky notes. There's an app that I use on my computer called Freedom that I can literally set a timer on it for, let's say, two hours. And I can set specific websites, apps, whatever it might be and they'll shut down and it'll block me and it'll lock me out from any of those apps. So I don't have to tell myself like, oh, I'm just going to go on Instagram really quick to, to look up something for business. When the reality is my ADHD kicks in, I see one thing on Instagram that's interesting and I get distracted for an hour. So instead of me beating myself up, being like, Chris, you need better focus. You're getting distracted for an hour, idiot. Like use willpower. Don't look at the screen. It's like, no. I know I'm not going to be able to do that forever. So what I'm just going to do is make it impossible for me to be able to actually go on the things that distract me. So I block them out. Yeah. There's probably a lot of apps like out there, but you're saying this is like a freedom app. You can put it on your computer or your, yeah, it's called, it's literally called freedom. The, the picture of it's like a little butterfly wings, the background's green, but yeah, you can use it on your computer. You can have it connected to where it'll block everything on your computer, on your phone, on that's pretty much whatever you want it to be. So whenever I'm doing work, like my deep work where I actually need to focus, I will close that door in my office. So I have no stimulation from outside this room. I'll turn on some background music to make sure I'm kind of in the right zone. I'll turn on the freedom app to make sure I can't go on social media. I'll have my power list. So I know exactly what I need to do. And then I'll set um, time blocks. So I was like, all right, I'm going to work for 25 minutes. I'm going to rest for five minutes. And I'm going to set a timer on my phone and I'm going to have the clock right in front of me because I'm, I'm like, I like scoreboards. So if I know I'm like crunched for time, I'm like, okay, we got to get this thing done in 25 minutes. So I only focus for 25 minutes. I try to go as hard as I can. The next five minutes I rest. If I got five things to do, that means five 25 minute blocks. If most things aren't too big of projects, if things are like, a big project that's going to take more than one block to get it done. 
I'll just break that big project up into smaller chunks. So my day is going, okay, we need to do like three blocks of this assignment. That means, you know, 50, 75 minutes of work. You're getting 15 minutes of rest total. Can you do 75 minutes of work? Yes or no. And it's like, if you can't, then bump it down. Like, don't beat yourself up for it. If you're like, dude, I can't focus for 25 minutes. It's like, cool. Can you focus for 10? It's like, yeah, of course. It's like, cool. Show me you can. Because most people would have a hard time focusing for 10 minutes straight. Yeah. Because our society, we're, I mean, we're, we get more distracted than a goldfish. So if we know that, and those are facts, then don't try and beat yourself up for it. Just build it up over time. Like you would with your body or with your nutrition or anything else. It's the whole growth mindset idea. If you can focus for 10 minutes, do it for a week. Next week, try to do 15. If 15 is too hard, go down to 12. And then over time, you'll build it up to the point where you can have a block of focus time that's an hour long. Like, dude, imagine if you can do work for an hour straight with no breaks, you're fully focused, you're fully dialed. You'll probably only need to work like three hours a day because you'll probably get a lot of work done in those three hours where most people work for seven to eight hours a day. But the reality is maybe like an hour and 15 of that was actual focus work. The rest of it was all just like super distracted, busy, kind of doing some stuff, but not really doing some stuff. And we waste a lot of time throughout our day. So if you can build that skill up, you can get your work done a lot faster. So you don't have to be behind a computer 24 seven. So you have a schedule, you have these 25 minute quick works, but they're deep works. And what do you do during the rest? Do you, are you like, say you're reading a book in that deep work, is that ever part of your deep work? And then do you use it? It has been in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Either like review or I might just go to the bathroom. I might fill up my bottle with water maybe grab a snack, just get up and walk around. If I was sitting down for the 25 minutes, something, it kind of just depends on what those five minutes need to be. If I was going to review, I would probably make the review part of my 25 minute time block Hmm. because that five minute rest period should be like a legitimate, like you don't need to focus for five minutes. Like your brain wants to chill. So just let it chill. Yeah, that's cool. We, we need those little, because if you, if you work for an hour, two hours, like you're just, are you slowly getting more ineffective? Is yeah, dude, if I work for an hour, two hours, I'm fried for the most part. Like if it's deep work and I'm like really going at it, whether it's like programming or whatever it is, like my brain is like, dude, that was a lot. Like we need a little bit of, we need a little break here. We need just like a little bit of time here to just recover, whether it's five, 10 minutes, whatever it might be. And then let's just go back. It's like, I mean, it's even like the same as working out, you know, when you're going for a one rep max, once you do that one rep max, your central nervous system is pretty fried. It's not going to be able to put the same amount of output as it did for that one big effort. So if when you're working, you've got one big effort, whether it's an hour to two hours, your body's not going to be able to just repeat it it's going to either be like a little bit less of a performance and you're just gonna have to recognize that, or it's going to be like really fried because you really went to town and it needs a, it needs a solid rest. Um, but you can build that up over time, just like you can build up your muscles over time. Hmm. So focus is a muscle. I believe so. Yeah. It's a skill. I think that's a good spot to kind of wrap things up because we started with productivity and we're kind of closing on and we went through a bunch of different things, but I think they could all be very helpful for anybody who's 
kind of in a tough spot or even if they just want to up their productivity game or they want to become more self-aware. There is one question that I like to ask people. Uh, The reason I call this upside down health is because most health practices that I find, whether it's knees over toes guy or it's like certain just like blue, blue, blue blocker glasses or like these things, when I first see them, they're like, that's freaking weird. Like that's kind of, that's kind of bizarre. And you look weird when you do them, you know, certain diet things. And so are there any health practices that you practice that would be considered upside down? Meaning when you first came across them, you were like, that's pretty, that's out there. But the more you dive in. Oh, interesting. Um, That's a good question, dude. For me, the first thing that comes to mind would probably be the framework that I use for nutrition now is completely different than I ever believed it would be when I was growing up. So the framework I use for nutrition is very much like sports. So it's a nutritional periodization program, so to speak. So in sports, you've got preseason, in-season, off-season, and post-season. Preseason, you're getting ready for the season. In-season, the only thing that matters is fucking winning and recovering so that you can play the next game and do it all over again. Doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter if you're hurt. Whatever you got to do, let's get the wins in. Postseason is right when everything's over. You kind of get to celebrate everything. You're relaxing. You're trying to recover. Off season, you're trying to fill any gaps or any holes that you might have had in your game. So come next season, you're more prepared. Nutrition, what I do with my clients is I take them through that same process. I go, all right, when we first start, the first thing we're doing is going through preseason. And preseason for you is going to look like getting accustomed to tracking your food, getting accustomed to building these habits that you kind of need to be successful. So when we go in season, we actually go into a diet phase and we actually go into a muscle gain phase. When I tell you that we need to hit these numbers to achieve this goal, you've built all the habits, all the skills required in preseason to go, I got it. You need me to hit X, Y, and Z done. Because all I'm caring about is hitting the numbers to get the win, to get me 1% closer to my end result, which is, you know, in sports, it's a championship for people. That's their dream body. Postseason for people in nutrition, that's when they kind of get to enjoy all the hard work that they did. They get to slowly get back on a reverse diet. They're slowly adding their calories back up, focusing on recovery, focusing on lowering some stress that was inevitably involved during their in-season when they were dieting or in a muscle gain phase. We're trying to like, alleviate all of the, the stress. And then off-season, whether the person comes in, they go, Chris, this was great. I'm stoked, super shredded, but I want to look bigger. I'm like, fantastic. Off-season, we're focusing on increasing your calories to get you in a surplus, to get you to gain some weight because you want to gain some weight. Or if someone like, hey, man, the diet went really good. I wanted to lose 20, but I lost you know, 15. And I can see here's where I fucked up during the diet season. And you know, it was because of X, Y, and Z. And I really want to work on that. I'm like, cool. Off season, we're working on fixing those things. We're going to focus on getting your calories back up to your maintenance, if not a surplus. As we can get you ready for preseason, we're getting you ready for your next diet phase, whenever that might be. And if you can teach somebody this framework, they can literally go through the system every single year until they create the physique that they want to create. Once they've created the physique that they want to create, all they got to do is live in maintenance. They just need to eat the amount of food they need to eat to sustain it. And if you do it right, for most people, you know, you got January, February, March, preseason. 
Then you got April, May, June. That's in season. Postseason gets to start in July, which is summer. So if you do it right, your postseason, right when you're done in your cut or your surplus or whatever, you get to enjoy all the hard work during when summer starts. You get to go into a reverse diet when summer starts. So you're super lean, but you're eating more food than you did. And you're still staying lean because you haven't gotten your numbers all the way up to maintenance. So now postseason allows them to be super shredded, super lean, where they want to be during summer. And then off season starts October, November, December, when things get cold, when people start throwing layers on, or it doesn't really matter if you're that shredded because nobody's really going to see it. And it's a good framework for people to be able to follow every year until they decide I'm good. And they can, once they use this framework, they can choose themselves. Okay. When do I want to be done with my in season? You know, do we have a trip coming up? When's the trip? If the trip's on this date, we're going to backtrack and we're going to plan out your entire season to hit that date, which would be a championship for a normal sports team. And that framework has allowed me to be a lot more successful with my clients. And it gives my clients a framework that they can use for the rest of their lives. So people like games and it puts them in this like reviewing cycle where they're actually like, maybe they're setting new year's goals and they're actually going to hit them because it's the off season. That's mm -hmm. I've never heard anything like that, but that I could see that working for so many people because people like to make like gamify their life. Mm -hmm. and that's really, really interesting. And I guess like ideally you'd get to this point where it's just like, like you said, it's maintenance and like you'd almost be in season like all the time because it's not changing anymore. It's just, it's yeah. just what you do. Right. Yeah. And dude, I mean, that's, and like you said, this thing's a game. Once your body's a game, once you figure out the game, you're like 10 times more confident about it and staying in maintenance. You don't really need to be that lean because you always know if I'm feeling a little shitty and I want to make sure I'm shredded for summer, I know the game. Like I know how to play the game to make sure I'm good. So then you care much less about how you look aesthetically because you know, you've learned the skills to get you where you want to go if you need to. The reason most people are so like insecure about their bodies is because they don't actually believe they can accomplish the goal of getting the body of their dreams. But once you do it for the first time and a couple times after that, you now have the belief to know whenever I want to go back, I can do it. And once you get to that point, you don't really care about being shredded that much. I know I certainly didn't. Once I got in shape, you know, when I used to be younger, I used to want to, the only reason I wanted to get jacked was to get girls. And then I got like a little bit shredded and then I got some girls and I was like, all right, cool. It worked. And then I got my heart broken and I was still jacked, but I wasn't getting girls. And I was like, well, clearly this isn't the formula for that actual equation. Um, so it didn't work out that way, but once you learn it, you don't care as much because you know, you can always get there. Yeah. So I hope that's a good answer for someone that's a little bit upside down. That's a beautiful answer. And I, it's maybe something I'm going to use whether with myself or with other people like, yeah, that's awesome. Thanks Later. for, thanks for kind of digging to find that one. That was, that was really cool. And I, I just want to thank you for like, again, this emotional kind of side of you that you opened up to share, like, like we all need someone to listen to us. And you've, you've discovered that yourself, but just to listen to other people sometimes can be super powerful. And 
I don't know if anyone's going to listen to this podcast, but if they do, like you might really change someone's life because you were willing to to just open up and make them feel like, oh, it's okay if I'm hurting right now. So yeah, yeah of course. I'm very dude. grateful that you you opened up like that. I didn't really didn't know where this would go, but thank you. Yeah, of course, dude.